Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. In studio today, a man who looks like he's, I mean, he is dressed far better than he should be to be on radio. I mean, he is he is looking very sharp today, trim, although he look, I mean, you could be in playing weight. You look like you're ready to go. Pete Diakowski, former Ticat, former Jeopardy contestant, Canada's smartest man. Many hits the head. Man about to, yeah. <laughs> well, not enough to stop you from competing on these shows. Well, thanks for coming in. Well, thank you. we got to include now in the introduction, since we're on 900 CHML, McMaster Marauders colored commentary. I hadn't analyst. got to there yet. Oh, okay, yeah, so okay. That's the you know that's the headline. Well, now. I was going to say philanthropist and volunteer past. and charity worker <laughs> and McMaster commentator on CHML. And I mean, if I could, if I could include all the things that you do, we would have no time to talk, including. You know what I should include? My, my wife will argue that that list isn't that long. <laughs> oh well, but there's one more thing that people may not know about you. Okay. Ready? Do I know it? Ben, hit it. Uh, sounded like you were starting to lose a little steam by the end there. There's a big finish. That's, you know, it's karaoke. That's Tracy's place up on Upper James. You, you, my wife's birthday last uh, last month. You got to give her. You can't hold anything back. I did not know we are going to have that queued up. <laughs> <laughs> that, that sounded like a full-on sweat going by the end of that one. That was a full-body engagement into singing that one. Full send. You can't hold back. If you're at karaoke, you know, there's... You know, people want to show. That's what people come there for. You can't hold back. You <laughs> I, disappoint people. I did not know, though, that among your many talents was singing. You were, I mean, look, it, it, as I say, it got a little exhausting by the end, but you were on Gotta key. Got to work on the stamina. Yeah, you were on key, though. That was pretty impressive. Uh, that, there's a, there's a, another future for you. You know, the, I say you've done two TV game shows. What about, you know, that one where you have to, like, sing? Is it named that, too? What's the one now that you have to sing the, I, the I next go line? The Masked Singer. The Masked Singer. Yes. <laughs> Yes, as an LSU Tiger. Go Tigers! Yeah, there you go. See, you—that's uh, that's very impressive. Yeah, that was Pete Dyk. That was Pete Dykowski. You can see, find him on Twitter, and if you scroll down Twitter a little bit because it's a few months ago, and it was what people can't see because it's radio is there was like as I say, full body involvement in that too. That was a physical workout. Yeah, you, you got to go all in. The worst thing that you can do at karaoke is to hold back. If you hold back. And you don't want to show the world the, the talents that God gave you. You're disappointing everyone. But also, if you hold back, it's kind of awkward. You just got to go all in. The disappointing thing when people hold back is, uh, see, it, it's almost disappointing that you were as good as you were because it's way better when people fully commit and they are atrocious. That's, that's the way better karaoke. Or the flip side, we were away one time and stopped into a karaoke place and there was a, uh, a, a man probably in his 30s who was um, very obviously had disabilities, de- developmental disabilities, was delayed. And he got up to the mic and you're like, oh, 
I don't, you know, I, I almost feel bad. And he killed it. This guy was like, this guy was amazing. And oh, I, yeah, I bad on us for assuming <laughs> that it might not be good. Never judge a book by Never. its cover. He was amazing. He was singing Frank Sinatra and Elvis. And you're like, well, don't let anyone else sing. You just keep going. You're great. Well, they, they've got always great regulars. Whenever you go out for a mm. karaoke night, there's always a couple of regulars. And there's some people who are pretty good out there. But this is it. Tracy's place, I got to plug him, Upper James. I'd never been before. I was really impressed. The food was great too, everything that we got. The service was wonderful. They, it was my wife's birthday, so we had a birthday cake. They put it in the, in, the, in the fridge for us while we were doing our karaoke, and then they gave me a gigantic knife to cut it up with. I thought, this is kind of novel, walking around at a bar with a huge knife, but great spot, Tracy's Place. So as you're saying it, I'm having a, a flashback here, and I just was typing and looking it up here because we have had people on the show who sing at Tracy's Place regularly who are the Canadian karaoke champions. Yes, and yeah. I just, I, and I, so Sharon Quinn was one of the organizers. She did it, and a guy named Dustin Jodway, Jodway, can't remember, and uh, Christine Costa, if they're listening. We've had them in and doing their stuff. So, yeah, th- there are some truly horrendous karaoke singers, but there are some pretty <laughs> good ones, too. Hey, I've been both. Have you? Yeah, I I don't know. It I depends was... on how long you're at the bar for before you start doing the karaoke. Was this early or late in the evening? This was earlier in the evening. <laughs> is, there, is there another recording that we should find that was later in the evening? No, no. Fortunately, it got very busy, and, and then the, the list was full. Saved me uh, some pain. I would think that being Pete Diakowski in Hamilton should buy you. It doesn't matter what the lineup is like to get up. They just say, Pete. You're Pete Diakowski. You go. Well, I don't want to take anyone's spot. You know, there's a lot of people who want to have their shot. You know, it, don't, it wouldn't be fair. I could. I got a few other songs in the repertoire. You're like. You're Maybe like. You're next like Dave... time I'm on here, we'll do. We'll do some karaoke. All right. Well, we could do it today if you want. Oh, uh, you're like David time. Beckham at the Queen's funeral. Did, did you ever see that? David Beckham lined up with the people and waited 12 hours in line to pay his respects by the casket. It's kind of bleak, but that's you know, it's like you waiting your turn. Just one of the people. No, no special treatment. Just you know, karaoke when it's your turn. <laughs> Pete, just um, not long before we started the show today, we learned that the federal liberals and NDP have reached a tentative deal, it seems, on this national pharmacare program. And, you know, I, I know there are going to be some people, including Jugmeet Singh, who are trumpeting this as a great triumph for all people. I'm simply looking at this thinking, it seems like we're taking a sledgehammer to a problem that required a much smaller tool, we are creating a massive new federal program that we could have done with tinkering or with smaller f- fixes around the edges. I, I, I yeah, just look the, at this and sled- think it's inevitable this is going to be a disaster. The sledgehammer metaphor is perfect. If you look at what the need is here that we're trying to address, the concern that some people uh, people in experiencing poverty, for instance, are not getting access to medicine that they need. And we are blowing up the entire Canadian uh, pharmacare, uh, prescription medication uh, infrastructure. Everyone's coverage is going to be affected by this. I'm skeptical right off the bat because, you know, one, uh, I you know, trust our doctors and I take uh, one prescription medication uh, for my blood pressure, actually. Uh, modestly, it's actually I take about a quarter of the prescribed dose. I found that's the, the happy medium. And then I also su- 
supplement with beetroot powder, great for the blood pressure, L-arginine. Anyways. Um, and serenity now. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, we had a terrible pandemic and a lot of people were very, very sick. I don't think I ever heard anyone in our public health agencies recommending that we all try to get eight and a half hours of sleep a night. You know, for all the things that we were talking about, we never even talked about just trying to help people live healthier lifestyles. I've never heard our health minister say that we should be getting eight and a half, eight, eight and a half. And that's a lot of sleep for some people, mm-hmm. but it might take an effort, especially for you radio types. But no, we're, we're going to see uh, this massive new pharmacare infrastructure imposed on the entire country. And I have no faith that this government is actually able to competently build that. Look at how they've struggled with their payroll system, the Phoenix yep. payroll. Arrive they, can. Arrive, well, yeah, arrive can. That's just a... a, a disaster. It's a flaming wreck. And when you look at how this government now operates and tries to administer programs, they have turned to third-party contractors and outside consultants more than any government in Canadian history. Just, uh, you know, back in the fall, there was a funny news story. It'd be funny if it wasn't so painfully true that the government had a $700,000 consulting contract to KPMG to help it figure out how to spend less on consultants. Yes, yeah. And then they looked True. at uh, immigration and refugees spent $25 million in the last several years on McKinsey for consulting work. How do we not have staff in our enormous federal government infrastructure who can do this work? They're farming it all out. Well, let me throw another one at you. One of the things we've heard from the prime minister repeatedly in recent months because of CERB, all the money that was blown on serve that went to wrong people and everything. What, what's the one thing he said? We had to move very quickly to get this in. So some of the arrive can, same thing. We had to move very quickly. The next election is going to be in a year and a half. The Liberals and NDP are bound and determined this new program is going to have to be up and running or else the Conservatives, if they win, will gas it. So we are going to rush through this enormous new program. What do you think the chances are that if once again we're hurrying a giant new federal program through, that it's going to be a disaster. It's inevitable. Well, it's a, it's an extremely ambitious, even if you completely buy into the goals and the scope, and again, I think the, the scope is completely wrong, but if even if you completely buy into all that, it's a massively ambitious plan. There's no track record from this government that suggests that they're anywhere close to competent enough to pull it off properly. And what's going to happen, mark my words, they're going to throw enormous sums of money at outside consultants and third-party contractors to try to implement it. And they're going to get an awful kludge imposed upon our ex- our existing system of medicine delivery and payments. The other, another thing about this that I just, it, it just infuriates me is it, let's use a different example for a second. Let's say you were a teacher and you had 25 kids in your class and two of them were not doing well in math. Normally you would say, I've got to do something different to reach those two kids. Everyone else is doing fine. Those two, I've got to do something different. What we're doing in this case is that's the same thing, only we're saying, but now we have to do it different, what we're going to do with those two kids, with all the rest of them who are doing just fine. We've got to change everything. So you've got something like 87% of Canadians who are covered for these drugs, but we're going to change the entire system now for the 13% who we do want them getting the drugs. I'm not... Some of the drugs, not necessarily all the drugs. I don't think we need all the drugs and all the 
the the prescription medic medication as a first recourse to trying to help people become healthier and live sure. healthier lives. But if but, but there are yeah people. But if you have diabetes yeah. or something, oh, yeah. no no one I don't think is saying we don't want people to get those drugs. But the vast overwhelming majority of Canadians are already getting them. So we want to get the people who have these essential drugs who can't get them. We want to plug those holes. What we've done though, instead of plugging a hole, is knock the entire wall down and say, we're going to start over again and do it completely differently. It makes no sense, especially at the cost. This They said back five years ago, they said this was going to be $28 billion a year. I'm sure that's $50 billion now. And the, the, the shocking thing, yeah, that's already a lot of money, but it's going to be worse than anything that they predict because we've seen it again at established track record. They're going to present the rosiest picture possible before implementing something that just doesn't work. So this is going to be uh, incredibly expensive, incredibly disruptive, very unaffordable. And I could imagine it's going to make it more difficult and more expensive for some Canadians to get the prescription medications that they're already receiving now and not having difficulty getting. So we're talking about a percentage of 13%. Something like that. So for 13%, we want to help these people. And I think everyone in Canada now is on board with that that sort of sentiment, but you're going to take everyone else and impose a system that is probably going to be worse. I'm thinking about the dental care uh, programming that we're, you know, that that we're we're talking about uh, to you. This this yeah. coalition, it's another priority. Well, that's going to drive up the the cost for anyone who's paying cash who doesn't have their own dental uh, insurance. Anyone who's paying cash because they don't have that coverage through their employer and doesn't qualify for that program, they're going to see a further distorted market that drives up their costs. So there's going to be a chunk of people in the middle who are going to get squeezed by Mm. this. And you know who else is going to get squeezed is this is going to be downloaded to the provinces because the provinces are the in charge of health care. And if it's anything like the $10 daycare we've seen or other things, healthcare in general, housing, the provinces will then say, you've told us we have to do this, but you haven't given us any resources or sufficient resources to do it. And now the provinces and then downloaded to the municipalities. This is all pie in the sky. One more thing about this that I find so outrageous is if this was a terrific idea, if this was really a an affordable, doable brilliant idea, the Liberals would have jumped on this instantly because they need to have some wins. Their their poll numbers are poor. We're seeing this now because the NDP vowed to pull support of this agreement by March the 1st. So if you're now doing this, not because you think it's a good idea, but only to cling to power, I can't think of a worse reason to bring in a national multi, multi, multi-billion dollar program. Oh, it's terrible. It's it's desperation. It's you know, when a team is down by two scores late in the fourth and they start going for those impossible throws. But good on Jagmeet. You know, he's finally started to do something with this position that he has done very little with for, you know, for, for quite a number of years. He's finally... I think trying to make something out of it for his ends, I I disagree with the with it, but it goes to show I think how weak the current Trudeau government is, and how um, uh, dangerous this coalition can could become potentially if we have another year year and a half of this. Now, one other thought: the fifty billion dollars that we're going to be spending on this, 
to help a relatively... Well, they say 27, but I'm guessing it'll be 50 because well, it's 50, a government... Yeah. Uh, yeah. Then, you know, what? that's probably going to be worse than that, but... Twenty, call it, call it thirty. Yeah, I think fifty's a a, a good estimate. Uh, but call it thirty billion dollars a year, a year. Yeah. What? How much of a greater improvement could we see in the general health of Canadians if we spent thirty billion dollars a year on helping people lead healthier lifestyles, get more access to pesticide-free fruits and vegetables? to get more exercise, more time outdoors. What if we throttled the internet at nine o'clock every night so people went to bed at a good time? What if we took the uh, appetite, now you know, a lot of people say, oh, personal freedom. I want the government to limit my app time on my phone. I do it, it takes a tremendous effort of will. But you know, from a public health perspective, if we're you know taking 50 billion, 30 billion, whatever you want to call it, a massive number of dollars from people, that means we're actually taking their money, which is their time, which is a portion of their life. It's actually, when you think about you know, taxation, it's, it isn't, you know, it's a very violent activity at the end of the day because it is backstopped by the government's monopoly on violence. So this is getting very theoretical here. So if we think about that, what if we just use that money to help people lead healthier lives? Well, and, and we got to take a break here, but let's talk exercise, about your taxation. Vitamin D. Let's talk about sunshine. your taxation as we go to break, because this will be thirty billion dollars. If it is only thirty, and I'm, I'm, we're going lowball here. If it's only thirty billion, and there's forty million Canadians, that is for a family of four. That's three thousand dollars more in your taxes every year. Just for this one program. Just for this one program. That's, that's a lot not, of pills are going to be pumping out too. That's not how much your total taxes are going to be. That is additional taxes that other we're either going to put it in our debt, which is going to be paying more in interest payments of things that could actually work for somebody, or you and your family. You've got a family of four, $3,000 more on your taxes every year. It's just, it's, uh, I just... It, I and, could and buy it, a boat, a very modest boat, but... Like a little aluminum 16-footer with and a 25 horsepower outboard. Well, no, I'm just thinking like the things I could do with $3,000, that would be better than more pills. Well, and over 10 years, there's $30,000 for your that's family. A very, that's a much nicer boat. But let me read you a couple um, a couple tweets, if I may. Okay. Uh, this is happening right now in Hamilton. Meanwhile, we have certain city councillors who are trying to cut funding to Hamilton's police department. When I'm mayor... We won't look for sensible cost savings to come from policing until after we've locked up the bad guys. Another one, $400 million for a bus bar, and that's two plus Tim Hortons fields. And as you know, it'll be ugly. When I'm mayor of Hamilton, we will build a $400 million neoclassical transit cathedral downtown. It sounds like something I would say. These stores are popping. Another one. These stores are popping up overnight all over Hamilton. Wouldn't it be nice if we could make our neighborhood green, bring our neighborhood green grocers back? When I'm mayor, we're going to make sure we have give kids access to healthy, normal mushrooms, not magic ones. Uh, one more. My mayor. You got to watch out for the magic. My mushrooms. mayor has advised me not to get my knickers in a knot over the eight dollar property tax increase uh, in our very responsible budget. When I'm mayor of Hamilton, people won't be getting their knickers in a knot. These are all tweets sent out by. Peter Diakowski, and it does make me wonder, I, I, I think you were halfway joking, but I do wonder, have you given any real thought to ever running for, I know you ran provincially, but have you ever thought about running for council? Well, I've, I've been, I've been asked this, maybe, you know, that, uh, you know, hypothetical is on Twitter prompted, but yeah, we could do worse. And 
As far as the half joking goes, we've had a lot of stuff going on in the city that unfortunately is more than half of a joke, and it's not funny. So when you live in the city, you have a lot of skin in the game. We've got two girls growing up here. This is home. Don't know where else I'm going to go. We joked about the the boat escape in the last segment. I don't know where I'm going to go. This is home. So uh, I would like to see our city running away where I'd feel better about how it's going to be handed over to my kids down the road. And right now, I think we're moving in the wrong direction. Well, it's been a... um it's been a really interesting time for sure. And, and I have no doubt that probably you have had people approach you and say, would you be interested in running or would you run? Because you've got the name recognition. You're a smart guy. You've, you've got opinions. You've got ideas. I'd be, I, I, I'd be shocked if you hadn't been approached by this point. It's something that after that run in 2019 that didn't work out, but felt really good. And it was as disappointing as it was, it was encouraging. It was a great experience. Uh, Something that stuck with me, I, I know at some point I'm going to ask people again to trust me in some role in, in government. Uh, no big announcement just yet. But, you know, certainly I think it's a logical uh, logical thing for me to suppose, you know, what we might do better around this city. W- would you and want, so would the, you be more interested in municipal or provincial or federal? Is it like, cause municipal, you get your, have, you get to have your hands on very yeah. much. You really get to make some impact. Is that what you would be interested in now? Well, if, it's, you, if it's, you were going to do it. It's close to home, right? So that's the, the, uh, the, the, when I'm mayor, it sounds a lot better than if I was mayor. <laughs> and I think everyone thinks about that from time to time. Uh, federal politics, obviously that was my, my run in 2019 that it remains a, a keen interest, passion. I'm involved uh, still uh, to some degree. And, you know, maybe when the girls are a little bit older. But right now I've got my hands full at home. I got Louise. She's seven. Helena's five. They are just wrapping up their skating lessons at the Dave Andrew Chuck Arena, the old mountain arena there. So my wife, Rachel, thank you if you're listening for <laughs> taking the girls to skating so I could go on the radio. Uh but it is but an it, opportunity. Like one muni- day, municipal one day. is an opportunity to really make it. Mo- I would argue way more of an impact than being an MP or an MPP. Those are important things. But if you're around that council table, your one vote can look. There were with our last election, and we won't get into names or whatever else. People can apply whatever names they want. But with the last municipal election, one different councillor on this side of the political equation or this side of the political equation, we could have a very, very, right now it's kind of split, which is probably healthy, but it could have gone one way or the other, either very conservative or very liberal. And we could have a very different looking situation right now. Well, I think there were a lot of people who didn't feel inspired by the mayoral race. And that's what a lot of people pay attention to when they go out to vote. Of course, they're going to vote for your councillor as well, but more people pay attention to who's at the top of the ballot there. And there was very low turnout, sadly, in our municipal election, which frustrates me. And how could you not go out and vote? But maybe there are a lot of people, maybe people who tend to vote blue more solidly. And while they're not necessarily majority across the city, they are in a number of areas. And maybe when they looked at their ballot, they didn't feel excited. Uh, and I think very highly personally of our mayoral candidates. I actually donated to Bob's campaign. That's not not a secret. I, I 
think he's a great guy, and I think maybe his past uh, history as a member of parliament for Justin maybe made him unelectable to some of the truest and bluest people out there in our city. And I think Keenan has got a lot of interesting ideas and a lot of energy. And Andrea, she's a, you know, Hamilton uh, through and through, loves the city. And, uh, you know, she's our, she's our mayor, and that's a very honorable position to hold. But maybe there were a lot of people who looked at that ballot. They didn't get excited about anybody. And down the ballot, we saw a number of ward races inexplicably swing. And I don't want to say bad things about certain people, but there are a few surprising races there. And then when you listen to some of our councillors, it doesn't sound like they're really putting all of their constituents' interests and needs and priorities front and center. It sounds like sometimes there's personal passion projects that they would put ahead of a lot of the people and the families who live in their wards. And that's frustrating for someone like me to watch. I think it frustrates a lot of people is this perception that some councillors are pushing personal pet projects, passion projects over big picture things. I Look, I've argued for a long time, Pete, I've written this in The Spectator. I've argued for a long time. One of the things that if I was mayor, to use your line, if I could have the power to do this, I would entirely change how our wards look. I would, I would make it so that every councillor's ward contained a part of an urban ward and a part of a rural ward. So you are required to look big picture, full city as There's opposed- some very narrow wards. Well, the, 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 look, m- most wards, you look at like, and I'm not, I'm not picking on Radley names Mandard. here. No, no, but I'm, yeah, but I'm not <laughs> looking at, at, I'm not mentioning names. I'm just saying the ward, or Ted McMeekin's ward is out in Flamborough. They, they don't have a lot in common with what's in downtown Hamilton. Yeah. Uh, Cameron Kretsch's ward and Ward 2 doesn't have a lot to do with Ted McMeekin's ward. It's or a really big, do you want to talk about amalgamation? We can, that's a, well, that's but a I, whole other kettle of fish. But I think people see these things and go, this, how does this apply to me? This doesn't really help yeah. me. And, and I mean, how, so that's well, not going to happen, but how would you do on, it? You, you count on the dynamic tension, those competing interests to hopefully, with a bunch of reasonable people, help you come out to some kind of governing equilibrium and, and decent, uh, decent initiatives and proposals and responsible spending. We're not seeing that right now. And beyond just having a very disparate range of interest between a rural ward and an urban one, I live in an urban ward. I'm in Ward 3. And... I have kids in Ward 3, and like a lot of people, I want it to be a safe place to raise a family. My girls go to St. Anne's. We just spent several years really worried that we were going to get a, quote, safe injection site about 150 meters from the front door of the school and the church there, Mm -hmm. right on Barton Street, right by St. Anne's School, right by Prince of Wales School, too, uh, right by about eight churches in this one stretch of Barton that actually has some great independent businesses, you know, a little bit of vibrancy that's really tough to find on some stretches of Barton. You go just further east of Gage and it gets pretty desolate mm. uh, again. And our council, our ward council, who should have had the interests of a lot of the families and the residents, uh, when faced with a problem that statistically is more of an issue downtown, you know, more of an issue in Ward 2, was really a champion for this. And fortunately, 
the provincial government w- uh, w- was so reluctant to grant its uh, approval that the property owner ended up abandoning the process and the sponsor of the application, the AIDS Network Hamilton, abandoned the application. And as far as I understand, it's now dead. I, but I actually, I joined the parent council at the school you know, with this as my chief concern uh, of trying to mount a stronger last-ditch defense. And, and fortunately, now that's no longer a problem. But we had our ward councillor fighting for it. But what do you do? So we have another example that came up this week. We have this parking lot in Stony Creek that the council, that staff wanted to build affordable housing on. You have the area councillors, a number of them saying, well, the small business, the BIA say, this is a really important parking lot to keep our business vibrant. You have neighbors saying, we don't, we can't, we need this space. So you end up with some councillors taking shots at other councillors, the mayor putting out a statement, basically taking shots at those who voted against this. It seems our system is set up to be looking at very fine, small issues that are only related to your area rather than the entire city. I'm not saying they're right or they're wrong. I'm simply saying it doesn't seem like our system lends itself to councillors looking big picture. It's about your voters. You're right about that. But all the systems are terrible. You know, there's a quip that democracy is a terrible form of government. It's the best that we've got. Right. You know, Vancouver, there's a lot of cities you can use an example, have at-large council systems, and they have party politics at the local level. So you have political parties in municipal races voting in blocks and... Which we have here, we just don't call it that. We don't. Well, y- you, you have do poli- see- you have a lot of municipal politicians who have campaigned politically or federally with candidates running in certain things or taking shots at certain politicians. It's very clear how everybody around that council table votes. That's true, but you do see some odd coalitions, some strange bedfellows on particular issues that probably wouldn't be possible if you had declared parties at the municipal okay. level. And I like the idea of. Theoretically, in a perfect world, having someone in my corner, specifically focused on on my interests and my ward, I don't think I do right now. But talking about that parking lot, you know, councillor, the councillor for the ward there is an uh, outspoken uh, an outspoken opposition uh, against it. You've got the local BIA there who don't like it uh, at all, and we have this housing crisis in the city. We want to find ways to build more housing. The city's awash in parking lots. We tore down a lot of beautiful buildings. I don't know what they were doing in the 50s and 60s. I wasn't born then, but anyone listening uh, who was around then, uh, th- you know, I don't know what you guys were thinking. You tore down beautiful buildings. You left us with a whole bunch of windy parking lots, downtown especially. So we have all these parking lots. There's a lot of parking lots that you can build affordable housing. Why these parking lots in particular? And is it really the parking spots that everyone's arguing about? Because JP made a good point. I read it on Twitter. You know, when you look at the number of spots for the buildings and the amount of space that's going to be occupied, it's not that many spots. I think he, he did the math. It was 23 or 27 net spots lost. And maybe there's more concerns that the people living there might be parking in some of those other spots. And you need spots for businesses. And it's nice for a BIA to have have the parking. But is, are there other local concerns that people aren't talking about due to good manners? Is it the type of housing that's being proposed that people are concerned Could about be. the streetscape? And if that's the case, 
let's have a frank discussion about that if that's the actual concern. And is the problem then that you're worried about other issues that could be associated with this housing? And then does that come back to the fact that we do not have uh, a well-functioning law enforcement apparatus in the city when it comes to low-level property crime Mm. and uh, street-level crime. we got to go to a break, but one of the real ironic, funny twists is that there was another housing proposal for affordable housing. Uh, Darko Vranich wanted to build one at King and Sanford, and that got turned down by the city. And one of the problems with that one was there wasn't going to be enough parking which I thought was so ironic considering the, they this, want to get rid of a parking lot So this lot is made here. in Sanford. This is right by my gym, Amazing Fitness. Fantastic <laughs> gym. I'm telling you, I've never been to a gym where all of the weights are always put away in the right spot. They'll actually have a word with a new member if they see someone not putting the weights back. It's ama- Amazing Fitness, well worth the membership, fantastic spot. I'll be there tomorrow morning. Now, Maine and Sanford is not a pretty corner of the city at all. We need a lot of housing. Darko wants to build a modest, I think it's 13 stories Something there. Something like that. Let's get out of his way and let them build it. You know, there's a lot of people who say that, well, you know, there Darko's weren't going to be enough trees. Mostly, mostly interested. Well, there's no trees right now. Uh, it's, uh, it is desolate uh, there. Uh, uh, it, it is but this is the like part a bomb of the, went off. And, and we got to run. This is this is what I find so funny about this, is that we are saying, council and others are saying, we have this massive housing crisis, which is true. And every time, it seems, someone comes forward with an idea, we find the most picayune thing to say, well, you can't do it here. Well, you know, this place will cause shade. Well, this place will be windy. Well, well the, the Ward 3 councillor was nitpicking against this Darko development that was going to put a lot more units than we're talking about in Stony Creek. But that same councillor was for the housing project in Stony Creek. So I'd like to hear more about what the real issues are, because I don't think it's just a couple of parking spots. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Today, I thought, you know what we're going to do? Uh, Pete Dykowski, once upon a time, did not just win the show Canada's Brightest or Canada's Smartest Person. He won that one. But he also was a contestant on Jeopardy on show number 6852, as it turns out. June the 3rd, 2014 was the date of his appearance on Jeopardy. Now, I don't want to, he's sitting right here and he's a very large man and while friendly, could rip my arm right out of its socket. So I'm not going to say that it didn't go well, I like to say bronze medal. Bra- he won the bronze medal. <laughs> That's right. Well, how much do you remember? I know you remember being on Jeopardy, but do you remember like such specifics or is it all sort of a blur? It's a bit of a blur. A few of them stand out, you know, more than ones I didn't get right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, um, it, it, it was, I think it was a, a brave thing of you, honestly, as someone who is known in the community to go on. There's, there's, I suppose well, you there's gotta an upside. You got to go for it. What's the, it's the karaoke mindset. Yeah, there's an upside. I mean, if you had won, you won the Canada's smartest person so people can be impressed, but there's a lot of opportunity for humiliation in Jeopardy too. And my background playing a sport in spandex pants in front of many, many thousands <laughs> of people, I think it hears me more than most against embarrassment uh, in crowds. So I didn't mind that that aspect of it. It was a lot of fun. I wish I'd won more money. You know, it was a thousand dollars at the end it's of the not day. Not the end of the world. Oh, no, not bad. But you have to pay it's your not own Ken way. Jennings. Yeah, you, you got to pay your own way. So I, I only netted about two hundred dollars, and I definitely spent 
almost that much on food down there. I took a cab <laughs> after I lost straight to In-N-Out Burger, <laughs> and I ate my feelings for a while. So, was um now do they do? And we're not going to talk all Jeopardy on this. Do, uh, they do like a whole bunch of shows in a row, right? Five in a day. And so, did you? Were you up first, or did you get to sit there and watch and get a feel I, for? I was it? up for the second show. So they will bring two weeks worth of contestants in for two days of filming. The returning champ is obviously going to be up next to film, but no one else knows when they're going to go, and they draw you at random, groups of two, to go in. So when you go in for for taping, you're all ready to go that day, and you only know who's going to be up when they select the two for the next taping. And then everyone else goes and sits in the crowd. So when they start show one, you don't know I'm going to be show four. You you only know right before exactly. you get called. Okay. So it's to try to, I think, prevent collusion or cooperation okay. between contestants. And you sit in a part of the crowd that's... I don't think they ever show the crowd in Jeopardy. They really but don't. They, they're careful to put you in one particular area, maybe so they, they don't capture you on camera backs. And I don't know. So you watch. And so the first the first game that we were up, the returning champ, was on like a 20-game win streak, and she lost. And so I thought to myself, because we'd had a warm-up, and I felt pretty good. I thought, oh, I, this, is, this is it. I'm going to win this for sure. And it didn't quite go that way, but it was a great experience. It was Alex Trebek still at the yep, time, yep. and he was still in his prime. Ticat fan. He didn't visibly age for decades nope. on television. Yeah, big. He was rattling off guys from you know his youth when he grew up in uh, Sudbury. I yep, want to say yep. Ticat's fan, and as he was naming the names, I was processing, them, thinking, "Oh, he is much older than he looks." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no. He, I remember that about him that he was a Ticat fan, and I thought that would be. Uh, that would be something that would endear him to have a, a Ticat player on the show. We had a nice chat afterwards while the credits were yeah. rolling. I chatted for a while and that was actually kind of neat. And then well, I never asked you this before. So when it's over, do they just like run you out of there and say, get lost and that's it. See you goodbye. Or you could stay for the rest of the day. I stayed and I watched the next show. Okay. And then there was a break. So then I, I went back after the break to go get lunch to go to the In-N-Out Burger. Yeah. And then by then it was too late to come back to watch like the last taping. So I just went back to the hotel. And I'm betting, based on Murphy's Law, that um, when you stayed around for the next show, you knew every answer to every question. Oh, yeah. It's like right back to being at home watching on TV. Yeah. And when you're thinking, how does this guy not get it? Well, now I know how. Yeah. I, um, I, I've, I've, I've tried before. And for people who have never done it, uh, I would encourage you to uh, to give it a try. I tried once upon a time, and I, I'm pretty good at trivia. I tried to do the Jeopardy tests online to get on. It is it is the test online to get at, into being a contestant is way harder than the questions on the show itself. I'm convinced they throw a lot at you online. I think they know that everyone's at their best when they're sitting at you know yes. at a quiet desk. They want to make it hard. You can sign up. Anyone listening who's a you know trivia addict, trivia buff, who's a Jeopardy fan, you should go try it. It's free to take. You register on the Jeopardy website. When I did it, I don't know if it's the same now, but they had you know two or three testing days in January that you could sign up for, and that's it for the year. So you have to sign up for those testing days, and then whoever made it through their you know their their screen from whatever the score they that was their threshold. They would then have live in-person tryouts where you have to do a written test. Mm. So just like 
the online, but pencil and paper, just to make sure that You're not you, you don't have your wife yep. feeding you answers. And then after that, they have groups of three of the people at those live auditions coming up to play a mock game. And they like, track your score in the mock game. I think they have producers watching you too and see mm-hmm. who might be okay on the show. But if there's an element of casting to Jeopardy, it's not necessarily always apparent <laughs> when you watch. No, it's, um, it, it's, it is incredibly hard. I, th- the thing about the show is very often th- there is a real hint within on the show. There's a hint, even if you don't know the answer, often the way it's worded, you can yeah. That's maybe, good trivia. Yeah, you can maybe figure it out. But the, the, the questions on the online thing, there was none of that. It was just nasty, hard, it's hard t- questions. They throw so. it all at you. But good trivia, you want, if you're playing trivia or going to a pub night trivia, you want everyone who didn't get the answer to smack themselves on the forehead and say, ah, oh, yeah, yeah, I should have known yeah, that. Yeah, I should have known that. Because yeah. you can come up with unanswerable questions, but that's not fun. No, the, 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 yeah, I agree with you. The, the, the key, and I try to do this in the quiz question. I, this is sort of behind this, but whatever. Uh, you want it to be hard enough that someone could get it, but hard enough also, or sorry, easy enough that someone could get it, but hard enough that it feels like it was an accomplishment to yes, get it. Yes. Yeah. You feel, if I say to you, what color or what time is, uh, does, you know, I don't know, find the easiest quiz question ever. What number did does Austin Matthews wear for the Leafs or whatever, something really simple. It, no one, but it's when you get a quiz question or, an, or a trivia question and you feel good that you got it. You, there's a, like, there is a feeling inside when you get one that you're not expecting Can to I get. Can I confess something right now? I don't know what number Austin Matthews wears. Well, that's okay. That's, you, I'm a football guy. All right. How about... Uh, how about Tim White? I thought that was the big news we were going to talk White. about well, when we came in. He said this big news. Well, I said Tim White signed days ago. Hey, let's. I want to talk to you about sports for a second. We're going to get to Tim White. We'll get to the Ticats in a second. I want to play you a little clip. This was from the NHL. You say you're not a hockey guy, but it doesn't matter. This was from the NHL uh, last night or the night before. It's an official, a referee named Garrett Rank, who, by the way, for those who don't know Garrett Rank, this guy is... If he was not going to be an NHL referee, he was an unbelievable golfer. Like he's a championship amateur golfer. Has won Ontario championships, I think Canadian championships. Anyway, he's an NHL referee. There was a call on the ice. Here is him making the call at center ice after the play. They're not going to like it, but the call on the ice was correct. No goal. <laughs> uh, all right. Do you like, as, a, as someone who maybe as a player or as a fan, do you like officials who have a little bit of personality and do this, or do you want your officials to come out and be automatons who are just wearing the stripes, no name on the back of their shirt, almost invisible, just make the call and get out of the way? What? First, a, display, a disclaimer, I love all refs. I've loved every ref who's ever <laughs> refed me, who's ever thrown a flag, even bet. though they're often mistaken. <laughs> I still love them and I value their contribution to sport. You can't have sports without the refs. So even though I found in my personal experience that referees were frequently wrong, I still love them all dearly. (laughs) As far as having a bit of fun with it, they have to play the super serious role consistently enough that when they do break character, it's special. Mm. If they do it all the time, then it's not special. Then it's goofy, and then it undermines the stature of their office. So do you mind a comment like that in a game? Or is that kind of okay, that kind of fun? That's okay as long as it doesn't happen too often. You know, once a season across a whole 
big, big league, that's not bad. But if it's happening like in every game, then I think we're getting carried away. What happens? Okay, so people don't know this because they're not on the field. And I mean, you can speak from either NCAA or you can speak from CFL. Uh, what happens in the game when the refs are talking, the officials are talking to you? Is it very serious and just very straightforward, or is there joking going on? Oh, there's on? a lot of joking around. Really? Oh yeah, yeah. There's yeah, there's the, very serious, and you know, passions run high, and sure. referees are people too, and they get angry, and we get angry. And there's a lot of you know, hard words exchanged, but there's also a lot of joking around and there's a lot of jokes at other people's expenses to get some laughs. And I always tried to be friendly with the referees. I felt like that was probably a smarter tactic than mm-hmm. to be rude to them. And, you know, sometimes if I got a flag, one of my, you know, what, you know, overused jokes, I'd always go back to the wild. I would pick up the flag and say, excuse me, I think you dropped this by mistake. <laughs> But oh, you know, I, and I, how did that go? They, you know, they they give a laugh. Okay. They not get out of it at at that point. No, there's a there's a lot more friendliness for the most part. Way more joking than than you think, and there is some nastiness. And there's some guys who don't keep their cool very well. And there's some referees who don't like that. And there is true anger. You know, it's high stakes. It's very public. Uh, it's very important. Guys care a lot. So. I always had fun and I always saw a lot of guys having fun and I'm a joker and lots of jokes were had, but there are some passions. There are some, you know, uh, arteries or veins popping out on foreheads for sure. One time before a game, we had a giant basket sitting in the locker. I don't know why we had this gigantic basket. So I filled it with items, you know, nice things from like our, we had like a pop and chocolate bars and all sorts of things like this and like a football and a few other things. And I brought it over to the referee's locker room as a gift basket with a card from the Tiger Cats offensive line. They thought that was pretty funny. Another time at the Roxy in Vancouver, great bar. It's one of those all-ages bars where everyone will go to. Fantastic house band. I don't know if it's still the same, but the Roxy is always like an institution downtown Vancouver. So we're out at the Roxy, and uh, me and Dave Stalas see that we got the reference crew from the game. We just finished playing the Lions. So Dave and I went to the bar, and we got a tray, and we just got it filled with shots and brought it over to the, the ref crew. And we announced, you know, we got to we got to have all of these together. They had a good laugh, and you know they said, you better not tell anyone about this. So I, there's no names, and I guess I am telling a lot of people about this, but there's no names involved. I haven't mentioned the year. You can't look up the uh, the crew, but yeah, lots of fun over the years. Is it the same in your experience in the CFL as in the NCAA? Because it's, I mean, it, it, are, are in, the refs in, the same? In the NCAA, my experience. You went to, for, for those who don't know, you went to LSU, won a Tigers. national championship with the LSU Tigers. Yep. Nick Saban. Yep. That's when he became Nick Saban. We got to go to the White House, got to meet George W. Bush. It was a lot of fun, a great, great time. I was there, so we had Mike the fifth. We we're of the 350, 400 post-secondary institutions in the U.S. that have a tiger as a mascot. LSU is the only school that actually has a tiger. And so Mike lives on campus. He lives across the street from this, in like a two-acre enclosure. It's beautiful. He has a waterfall. He has like a pond to swim in. And the pond has glass walls, so you can actually see him swimming in the pond. And it's now Mike the Seventh. So I was, I was there two tigers ago, so okay. this is quite some time now. <laughs> Fantastic time, but the referees, you know, when back in college, I didn't feel like at least that I had the, you know, place or, or status yes. to joke around with, with the refs. You know, 
in the CFL, after about a decade, you start feeling like they're my coworkers. But back then, you know, they were the law. And I was extremely deferential. And, you know, mostly I just didn't want them to notice me. Yeah. Although, I don't know if that always worked. <laughs> uh, okay. I completely forgot that you had been to the White House. I did know that. But all right, so we, we see this all the time where we see these teams go there. So what, having never even thought about this until now, what is, do, do you, they just drive you in in a bus and line you up in a room or in the Rose Garden and then bus you back out? Like what's the yes. process? That's pretty much it. You know, I, I, I was very jealous when I saw on Twitter when President Trump had the guys in and he had the McDonald's laid yes. out. It was a hilarious photo. It was all the, and I thought, oh, that would have been nice. We didn't get fed. I just realized we did not get fed. And I saw in Forrest Gump, he got 14, 15 Dr. Peppers. Yeah. When yeah, he I went got, to the White I House. Pay. <laughs> we didn't get any Dr. Peppers. There was no food. So we got busted. And this was after the 2003 season. So it was early you know, early spring, I think it's February, March, 2004. So high security. Yes. Yeah, wartime. 9-11 America. There is, you know, concrete barriers all over the place. High, high security. We got bust into the White House. You have to go through metal detectors to get in. And they had the Marines standing at attention, the guards all over, which was pretty neat. And we went into the East Room and we waited a while there and looked around at things, but there wasn't any food. And then George W. Bush came in and he burst into the room. We were waiting for a while and he burst into the room. And up to that point, my only impression of him was the guy who had trouble with the teleprompter. Yes. And the Saturday Night Live version of George W. Bush, you know, the endearing, bumbling sort of guy yes. who had trouble with the teleprompter. So then he burst into the room because you wonder, how does that guy become president? So he burst into the room and you see how he's, you know, glad handing with all of the top. LSU guys. And there's guys there like Sean O'Keefe who went on to, I think he headed NASA, Mark Emmert, who was then the head of the NCAA, Saban. And he's the top dog among all of them. He's, oh, I guess that's how he became president. And also, I think it helps if your dad's the president. So we had the picture with him. We had a nice picture with him. We all got to say hello and, you know, shake his hand and all this stuff. And we have a picture. So I have a picture in the White House in yeah. my office. And it's odd. So he then I'm, I hope it was him. It's a lot of autographs, but they mailed us all afterwards and it took some time to, you know, print to the photos it, yeah. and for George to sign them all. And so I have an autographed photo of me and George W. Bush and, you know, 70, 80 other guys in the White House. And then that year, the AP did something terrible. They did a protest vote for USC to be the number one national champion in their poll because they weren't happy that... Oklahoma got into the BCS game against us and not USC. So these, you know, arguments about the rankings are yes. as old as time. So USC won. So they actually had USC at the White House too. And so we went down for a news conference, press conference in the Rose Garden and USC was there as well. So it's actually kind of funny. You got to me. Reggie Bush was there at yeah. the time, all those guys. So, you know, you chit chat for uh, a while. And then we had the the press conference, George Bush is on TV and now he's on a teleprompter. And then it was that George Bush again from television and from SNL. So it was, it was amazing. You see him in, you know, in private and realize, oh, I guess I could see this guy becoming the president. And then he's back on TV again with the teleprompter. So how long were you there for? An hour? Uh, two hours yeah. maybe. Yeah, it was pretty quick and there's no food. Again, there's no food, not even Dr. Peppers. <laughs> We're going to make a note of that. It's been mentioned several times. No, no food, food at the White House. No food. We will, uh, we'll speak to them. We'll see if we can get that fixed for next time you're there. Pete, I was reading this story that uh, was online and I, I saw the headline. 
I was already in full agreement with this story once I saw the headline. Then I read it and I was even more <laughs> in agreement with it. Is everyone angry is the headline. Toxic outrage culture is consuming society like never before. Do you agree with that? Yeah. People like to indulge in anger because it feels good to feel right. Why? I see. I, I've. This is what I don't get. I. I agree with you. I'm a happy guy. I. I but try to catch myself to if I catch myself doing it. Well, I think long term, it's not a great way to live. It's probably, it's gratifying in the short term because it's 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 great to be right. So if you're really angry and you feel self righteously angry, you're indulging in that feeling, and that's indulging in anything too much probably isn't good for you. And it seems like there's more of that going on than ever. So I think that article is hitting a nail on the head. Well, I just don't understand. And I think you're not wrong. I, I, I don't. But the idea that it feels so good to be angry, that we want to have that all the time. I, I'm not going to argue that there are moments when, yeah, you can feel there's something, I don't know, weirdly positive, weirdly good feeling about being enraged by something. But Rageaholics. We, but we now want to... We go looking for things to be angry about now and to be offended by now. And we have for a long time, but well, we also, seek it out. We can always blame technology and certainly social media makes it easier to indulge in that kind of anger. And yep. it's designed to you. We've heard all about how the algorithm shows you what you want to see. So I have my Twitter on a timer because if I don't have it on a timer, I'll find myself you know, scrolling because it's always something new. So it's one that says hunt for novelty. So I have my Twitter limited and shame on you for, for tweeting earlier. So I had to extend my timer off of my 15 minutes so that I could see and, and, and then retweet it. And then I saw a bunch of other things, but I put it on a timer to keep myself off of it because there's a whole wide real world out there. Yes. But the the ease of just going through. So if I open my Twitter and it has the the regular feed and then it has for you. So it's not just people I follow. It's just whatever they think I'm going to like. And there's great stuff on there. I'm a big fan of nuclear energy. So I got a lot of nuclear energy on there. I had to fix my Instagram feed. So I, I have never, I'm a happily married man. I've never liked an inappropriate photo on Instagram. And there's a lot of them. But for some reason, if I opened my search feed, it would show me all sorts of ladies in the gym wearing very little clothing and not like, like, you know. Because you probably have liked on a gym photo or something before or a I, workout. I think but. it sees where your eyes, like if the camera's on, it has your permission. It follows where your eyes go or maybe where your scrolling dwells. So, and then bikinis and the beach photos. And I, you know, when I'm opening my phone, if I want to search something to have a conversation, like, let me show it to you. I don't want to open it and people to think I'm some kind of, you know, <laughs> degenerate pervert. So <laughs> I went on a mission. I wanted to retrain my Instagram. So I retrained my Instagram. I went out of my way to search and only like uh, photos and videos of trains, like choo-choo trains, like freight trains, passenger trains. LRTs. So LRTs <laughs> even. So here is when I open my search feed on Instagram. This is what it shows me automatically, what it that thinks is, I'm going to like most. That is very Freudian almost. But yes, that's... Uh, Nothing like trains. So my Instagram is just wholesomeness. It's just trains. Like this is a wonderful one. This is an electric freight train. And and it's got the music going along with it too. And here's a nice CP. Like this is a real nice Canadian Pacific right there. 
And we've got um, Burlington Northern, Santa Fe, uh, you know, some beautiful landscapes. There's a Canadian National. Look, that's a classic. That's just a there classic, you, you know, load of freight getting hauled across our great land. So I retrained my Instagram to just show me wholesome trains. And so now I can actually use it. And if I want to look up a friend who's on there or send someone a message, I can open it without being overwhelmed by perverted photos. And then <laughs> on my Twitter, though... I found no such um, solution. So I, not that it's showing me, you know, naughty photos, but I just capped the time. And so I've realized I don't need to know quite so much about what's going on in every uh, unfortunate situation on the planet. So I just cap myself and it keeps me from going down that, uh, you know, path that leads some people to, uh, to rage. But I do look at it enough that it keeps me up to date because I like to you know, feel like I know what's going on in the world, even though some of it doesn't affect me. But yeah, the rage. But it, it is. We, we, I mean, there's, I learned um, several months ago the phrase doom scrolling, which is just a wonderful phrase. It's, it's a, like, it's just so perfectly yeah, very apt, poetic yeah. and very apt. But it's true that, that how many people lie in bed and before trying to go to sleep, find a bunch of stuff that just makes them enraged. And then you try to fall asleep and have a good sleep. It's just crazy. Oh, when you look at the number of hours going into phones now, going into apps, this is huge slices of our lives, human lives spent staring into these apps alone in our own little silos of rage often and people staying up late, losing sleep just to get angry about something that really doesn't affect them in their daily life. The app timers on your phone are great. Anyone who's listening to this who's struggling at home, if you go to on your phone, if it's an Android, I don't know an iPhone, but if you go to settings, you click on apps and you click on screen time and then you can manage the screen time for all of your apps and you can limit it. So I do that. I recommend that. And then you should definitely not do any doom scrolling within like an hour of bedtime. They say screen time in general. Sometimes you can't avoid, like I have to catch up on emails maybe after the kids go to bed. And that's when I should be reading a book and, you know, cooling down for the night. Instead, I'm thinking about like, you know, work or business or I have to do a spreadsheet or something. That's not good. So I did find that sometimes I would sleep poorly if I kept myself up. And I don't want to rely on them, but I have found that melatonin and some other herbal products have helped me get better sleeps if I've let myself get too wound up. So actually, I have a few that I can recommend from personal experience. Now, I've heard a lot of people recommending the weed gummies for sleeping, and I don't think that's a great idea because they're finding out all sorts of things that may be a little bit dangerous about about weed. They've got the youth schizophrenia now, the, the weed-induced schizophrenia. That's that's one. So anyways, let me tell you the things that I ordered recently from Amazon. And they have them at shoppers. They have them at a lot of other places. Let's see. Track and manage your orders. Let's see. Buy again. I got a standing desk, by the way. That was great. I recently got a Casio uh, they still make Casio watches? watch. Yeah, I just got Look that the at other that day. Wa- that is from 1984. Yeah, I, the only I thing missing is the calculator. Wacky Wednesday and Where's Waldo? That's a Dr. Zeus and Where's... Okay, here we go. Melatonin, 2.5 milligrams. Weber Naturals, or Weber Naturals, I guess Weber, Weber Naturals, Melatonin Plus. And it's got, as well as the melatonin, it has l Theanine, 
and 5 HTP. And so these things... It's going to be covered by the new PharmaCare program? No, it's not because it's not coming from a big pharmaceutical company. Anyways, one of those or even just half of the tablet I found really helps you get a wonderful sleep and you have really crazy dreams too. Another one I, I tried... <laughs> Ollie, but, but no rage. Uh, no rage. No, no, no. It's much, quite the opposite. Ollie, it's what's called Ollie, O-L-L-Y, sleep gummy. And these are gummies like, you know, um, like a candy, but they're not like the gummies, like the weed gummies that a lot of the people are doing nowadays. So this is just, here, I'll tell you what's in this one, because I like this one too. Melatonin, L-theanine, chamomile, passion flower, and lemon balm. And that one seems to seems to work really well. And again, I don't let myself, you know, every single night because I want to regularly fall asleep normally. I'm but just now picturing Pete Diakowski with a nice chamomile tea in a warm oh, bath with some sleep. flowers on the top of the I don't fit in our bathtub, sadly. <laughs> I don't fit in our bathtub. And I had to get rid – we had a pump failure and I was – Sick of replacing pumps on our hot tub, the old Iverwind hot tub, by the way. Oh, really? Yeah, nice big Sundance Optima spa. I took it home. Yeah, when they <laughs> tore down the back in 2012, when they're tearing down the stadium, it came from the pool shop originally. It was an 09 model year, so it was only a few years old. And how does that work? You just go to the Thai Cats and say, I want the hot tub? I was bugging everybody about the hot tub in like the run up to the demolition. I was asking everyone, I said, What are we going to do with the hot tub? Because I had a plan. <laughs> About a week before, and everyone said, no, you can't have the hot tub, Peter. So about a week before the demolition, they're having a meeting, all the team people who are involved in the ops side and the getting ready for the demolition handover. And they have to give it to the demo company. And they're going through their list of things that aren't done yet. And the hot tub came up. And someone at the table said, it was with the, the team accountant. He said, you know, Peter's been bugging me about the hot tub. And then the next person said, yeah, he's been bothering me too. And then another person <laughs> said, yeah, he's asked me like four times. So finally, just tell him he can have it. So... I came on the last day of the before the handover. So the handover was like 5 p.m. that day. So I came with a sledgehammer and I booked the pool shop. So pool shop uh, up there off of like uh, Rymo Road, yes, wonderful yep. place. They also sell pool tables. Uh, so I, I know of them as hot tubs. I think of pool shop, like swimming pool shop, but they also sell pool tables and home arcade accessories, so like games rooms. So anyways, I asked if they could help and they have a special dolly for moving hot yes. tubs, like a, a trailer and a dolly and all of this stuff. So I came in at like two in the afternoon. Uh, one of the city workers very helpfully helped me disconnect all the, one of the electricians, everything. And then I took a sledgehammer to the door frame on the side of the locker room because it was way too big. It's a huge hot tub. I don't know how they ever got it in. But I had to take off the door frame and like a bunch of the cinder blocks out to make a big <laughs> enough hole in the wall to get the hot tub out. And then I got the hot tub home and it was wonderful for years. I only got rid of it last year. So I had it for 11 years. Getting rid of it was way worse because it had been outdoors for 11 years. Uh -huh. It wasn't as structurally sound. <laughs> okay, the last one I got for you, Vicks. Pure Z, it's just three Zs and an S. <laughs> melatonin, chamomile, and lavender, but that's not all. It is melatonin, chamomile, lavender. They don't tell you where the ingredients are. Okay, here we go. Valerian root extract, chamomile flower, lemon balm, that's a common one, right? lavender, 
extract as well. And this one I found gives the craziest dreams. It's it's quite uh, entertaining, actually, and I get wonderful sleep. So all of these, you know, melatonin, chamomile, lavender, etc. products, great to offset the doom scrolling and the the blue light screen induced yes. wake. Yes, and I'm positive that anyone tuning in today did not necessarily think they were going to hear Pete Diakowski, former lineman, talking chamomile and lavender. Oh, I would have a ca- chamomile tea on the road before a game, night before a game. You want to get a good sleep? That was frequent. I have pulled up. There is a website that tracks every single Jeopardy game ever played, questions, answers, who got it, all that stuff. That's how I was able to find the quiz question today. But just before we give you today's quiz question and see who can get it, let me give Pete a few of the questions. Now, you got these ones right, so we'll see if you remember this one. This was a $400 question under the category of the Brits add you to it. (laughs) The Brits have a sense of this amusing word and insert you to make it six letters. What is humor? Humor, correct. That's $400 for Pete. From, this is under grab bag. From 20, 2007 to 2010, he gave away nearly $1 billion to charity. Thanks, Mr. Mayor. Who is Mayor Bloomberg? Who is Mayor Bloomberg? That's another $400 one. All right, let's keep going here. A couple more. Uh, th- this is... Uh, I can't believe I got that. I almost didn't get that one right now. Uh... Back to the Brits add you to it. To betters, Arsenal would probably be this in a match against Aston Villa. To betters. To betters, Arsenal would probably be this in a match against Aston Villa. The Brits add you to it. It's easy when you can read them. I got this one right? You got this one right for $1,600. Oh, favorite. Favorite. What is favorite? Yeah, favorite. There you go. And the one today that everyone was asked, this was also 1600 This muscle group lets you bend the knee. It's also a word meaning to cripple. What is hamstring? Hamstring is correct. Ben, did anybody get this one correct? Oh, someone's just calling in. Under the wire, I don't know if we're going to count that one because you already gave it, but nonetheless, <laughs> based on the tape delay, we've got like a six-second tape delay, <laughs> so they probably got in under the wire. Ben, did anyone get these answers correct today? We had a few. We had Bruce. We had Paul. We had Butch. Gary, Wes, and Kayla. Well done, all of you. That was the sh- fewest of any of the quiz questions all week. So it just shows how good you were to get that one right, especially with the lights on and the well, cameras on. I've pulled on. a few hamstrings. So that, <laughs> that word maybe comes to me more naturally after all the pain. Uh, just before we go, we've got one minute here. I know something near and dear to you. You said, can we please mention before we're done, what's coming up Tuesday, living, February 27th. The Living Rock Soup Fest. That's right. Tuesday, February 27th. One of my favorite events of the year. It's the 22nd annual at the Hamilton Convention Center, One Summers Lane, Hamilton, Ontario, L8P4Y2 if you want to send them a letter. It's 11.30 a.m. to 7 p.m. all day. Come for lunch, come for dinner. Come back for dinner after you go there for lunch. So Living Rock is a 38-year-old outreach that offers youth at risk a place of belonging, safety, and a bridge to the community while supporting youth to develop a personal vision for their lives. 
Living Rock is located in downtown Hamilton at 30 Wilson Street at Houston. So a very worthwhile charity to support. And delicious soup. Delicious soup. So each $20 ticket provides four four four-ounce bowls of soup from one of the participating restaurants. And then you vote for best soup, most creative soup, best display, tastiest Heart smart. I don't know about that one. But anyways, <laughs> there's a lot of fantastic soup. Four is not nearly enough, so you're going to keep wanting to buy more soup. The more soup you buy, the more you help the Living Rock Youth Center. And they've been doing this since uh, 1985, uh, the supporting youth bit. And then for 22 years, they've been slinging soup to help the kids. I so love that's that. a great Slinging cause. soup. And you know what? We Once upon a time, years ago, we had the Soup Nazi on the show here. And we're, we're going to do the opposite. Surf soup? Soup, soup for you. Yeah. Soup for Everyone gets soup. soup. For yeah, you. It doesn't soup matter you. if you line up and put your money the right way or not. So February 27th, that's Tuesday. It's always on Tuesday, always the last Tuesday of February, 11.30 yep, a.m. to 7 p.m. And you can look it up Bring at your lucky spoon. Living, livingrock.ca slash or backslash soup fest if you want to find it. Uh, Pete Dykowski, thanks for coming in today. Fantastic job. Hey, thanks for having me on. Uh, next time Pete is on, hopefully it'll be soon, um, maybe to announce his candidacy for mayor of the city of Hamilton. We'll see. It can't be soon enough. <laughs> we'll have a great weekend. We'll talk to you soon. No soup for you. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.